Hello, and welcome to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm your host, Siri Vincent Clough, and I'm so glad you're here. This is the show where I explore heathenry through a queer lens. We will be talking about traditional witchcraft, runes, folklore, and so much more. Join us, won't you, as we journey to the ends of the Nine Realms and back. Did you know that I wrote a book with Cassandra Snow? It's true. Lessons from the Empress is coming out October 1st, 2022 from Wiser Books. Lessons from the Empress is a tarot workbook for creativity and self-care. Self-expression and self-exploration are essential for living a fulfilling life, and the tarot allows for an incredible opportunity for creative exploration. Using the Empress, a symbol of creation and abundance, as a metaphor for the journey, Lessons from the Empress takes readers on a journey through the tarot using easy-to-follow magical rituals, tarot spreads, and creativity exercises in a way that will empower you to embrace your true self and express that self to the world. You can pre-order the book anywhere books are sold, and just to make things easy, I've included a link to IndieBound in the show notes. Happy reading! Welcome back to the Heathen's Journey podcast, and welcome to the official second season of the podcast. So, as many of you may have noticed, um, for a huge part of 2022, I have been on a bit of a hiatus, and that is because I have been kind of getting deep and asking myself, what is it that I really, really want to emulate like creatively like how where do I want to take this podcast creatively and the more I thought about it the more I realized that I wanted to you know focus deep on a specific topic within heathenry and nordic magic um, over the course of a season and thankfully last season ended pretty much with the um, end of the first eight of the Elder Futhark. So I decided to continue to work through the runes, but now all of our interview episodes are going to be focused around a topic. Um, so some big changes are coming for the podcast, and I'm really proud of you know how things are shaping up for the podcast. So Thank you so much for bearing with my absence, and I hope that the it was well worth the wait. So I started this episode, actually, before I went on hiatus, and I think it was partially working on this episode that helped me figure out how this podcast needed to change. Um, I started working on this episode in the midst of a transitional season, and that transition has continued and even accelerated within my own life. My life has been completely turned upside down in surrender to the underworld. So this season, I am actually focusing on the second eight of the Elder Futhark. And this eight begins with Hagalaz, the rune of the hailstorm. It is the rune that ushers us into an underworld journey, which is a theme we will be returning to for the rest of this season. But what is the underworld? What does it mean to say that we are on an underworld journey? One of the reasons I love talking about the underworld is that I love talking about story structure and our mythic perspectives. 
This episode is coming out in August, which is not exactly a time when everyone is thinking about these darker themes. But I have found that there is a potential for underworld work at any time of year, whether or not the season seems to agree with you. And this is the truth of it. Death can come for you at any time, and that time is very rarely convenient. Not all underworld journeys are about death, but many of them feature death of a kind, death of the ego, death of a faulty system, death of a belief. Um, The second eight of the Elder Futhark has a consistent theme of the underworld throughout it, Um, And it really covers the uh, joys that can come from an underworld journey as well as the hardships. The eight starts immediately with the first rune, Hagalaz. This eight has been alternately referred to as either the eight of Heimdall or Hel. In my own personal practice, Hel makes far more sense as the ruler of this eight. I do still love the figure of Heimdall, and so I want to talk about him briefly before diving into Hel and working with Hel. So Heimdall's name translates to the Watchman of the Gods. There is a sense of this um, that feels protective. And indeed, many of the themes of this eight have to do with protection. Hagalaz, Isa, Algis, and even Soolo all have elements of protection within them. Even the eight itself appears to be structured to support both protection and victory. We start with Hagalaz, which is hail, and is sometimes often, I would say, in agrar- especially in agrarian cultures, uh, seen as a threat. Hail is certainly a threat to crops and physical safety, and sometimes the rune is even read as a portent of attack, especially when it comes up in conjunction with Thurisaz in the reading. We end the eight with Soolo, um, which is associated with the sun and victory. So in this way, the second eight brings us from an attack to victory. But this is a very active process, and Heimdall does not seem like a terribly active god. He is the one who stands on the rainbow bridge watching over the happenings across the nine realms. He is the one who sees all and alerts the gods when Ragnarok begins. He is said to possess wisdom and foreknowledge. I associate him very deeply with Odin, two gods who are deeply interested in foreknowledge and sight. He is in some places referred to as a son of Odin, but sometimes these mythic figures bleed together. I don't think the place I don't think that the place where Odin ends and Heimdall begins is as cut and dried as many would believe. So there is an element of foresight and prophecy where Heimdall is concerned. In previous versions of my Radical Runes class, I've talked about how this eight feels like the eight of the Norns to me. And to a certain extent, that is still true, but my thinking has shifted and evolved around this. This eight brings a necessary destruction and then shows us how to deal and heal with that destruction. These were big themes in my own working with norms at the time. Then I came across something really interesting. A lot of people were referring to hell as a fourth norn. Hell with one beautiful side and one decaying side. Hell the gruesome and hell the nurturing. So much of her is reflected in heathenry, hidden away only to be seen by her followers. Her name even means hidden one, and she is the revealer of secrets, but only once you have worked for it. Most people associate hell with the winter, but she is present in all things, the eventual end of all of us. 
But I also want to place hell within the context of a more communal society and to think about the way that the different seasons play into the different aspects of her. While she is the hidden goddess, the giantess who governs all life in all of the nine realms, she is also seen in the everyday rhythms of our lives. But she's hidden, so we don't always see or feel her influence. I see her most strongly in the Nordic seasonal rhythm. So the old Norwegian and other Scandinavian calendars had two sides, the winter side and the summer side. The winter side was a time of preservation, of making sure that everyone in the community had what they needed to survive. The summer side was a time of deep work, everyone coming together to produce what was needed for food for the next year. In the winter, people would work on spinning, knitting, carding wool, and making fabric. All of those things that were uncomfortable to do in the sticky summer, they would do in the winter. This might seem like an incredibly binary point of view, and of course it is in some ways, but it's more about the overall story arc of these times of years. Spring and summer are growth seasons, and autumn and winter are hibernation seasons. To those who lived in really harsh climates, the seasons were stark. Even here in Minnesota, we can feel that harshness. Winter is long and dreary, and then all of a sudden we have spring. Each of these seasons also called for different kinds of work. When we are under hell's bright maiden influence, we are tending the fields, growing food, celebrating the sun, going on vacations, spending time with our loved ones. When we are under her dark troll aspect, we are waiting, saying goodbye to the plants and the sun. Perhaps our mood may turn dour, and we spend hours indoors. I have a vision of my ancestors telling tales around the fire during the long winter months, the spinning stories that we still repeat to this day. And in the summer, they worked hard to provide for one another. The summer was a joyous time when you could be outside and more actively engaged with the natural world. The celebrations at Midsommar are a beautiful example of the joy within this season. There is also an association with brightness and beauty in Norse myths. Hell's body, split in two between the beautiful and the corpse, reflects this dual nature. She is lit by Suna at the same time that she is shrouded by Mani. The truth is that there is beauty in both sides of hell. The bright, shining side reminds us to celebrate our life today. The dead side is a reminder of our final resting place. Hell rules over all nine realms because all things die and return to her. So I'm actually surprised it took me this long to really begin cultivating a relationship with hell. Uh, living through a pandemic has meant that death feels a lot closer. I am lucky enough to not have said goodbye to anyone because of COVID, but I know so many people who have had relatives, friends, community members, and other loved ones succumb to COVID. I do know people who have had COVID and then developed long COVID, and it is so heartbreaking to see their daily struggles. Hell lies in a bed of pestilence. At the same time that it feeds her, disease sends people down to her realm. She has felt closer to us than usual, just as ancestors have felt closer than ever. The things that we normally ignore, disease and death, are much closer to the surface these days. Hell, as the hidden, shows she is in charge of the dead who are buried or cremated and whose souls are invisible to the living. 
Basically, hell takes all of the things that have died outside of a noble death in battle and brings them to her realm. In fact, she is sometimes seen as a poetic personification of the underworld, and not fully a deity in her own right, or in as much as a deity is something we conceive of. She is primordial, outside of the realm of the Aesir. Somehow, hell is simultaneously a place, a goddess, and a duty. Let's talk about her in the myths. The first written record that I could find of Hell comes from Snorri Sturluson in the 13th century retelling of the Gilfaginning. She's mentioned as one of Loki's three children, all of whom are fated to bring about the end of the world during Ragnarok. As an aside, this only makes sense as Hell's nature is to bring home the dead. However, I think it's interesting that Hel is Loki's daughter because there are deaths clearly written about before her appearance. So is she not in fact Loki's daughter, but rather some hidden thing that Loki has revealed? Like Loki, Hel is not a member of the Aesir or the Vanir. She is even more of an outsider than he is because she is not adopted by any of the gods and is instead banished into her realms. She is known as a giantess, a daughter of Loki the half-giant and a giantess. Now here's where the timeline doesn't make a ton of sense to me. First of all, giants in Norse mythology aren't just the bad guys. They are primordial forces of nature, much like the titans of Greco-Roman mythology. So in the same way that Hecate is a titan rather than a goddess, so too is Hel. She plays an incredibly important role as the one who ushers in death and brings people to death. But death is such an ever-present force, even in the myths that happen chronologically before Loki introduces her to the Aesir, that I don't know what to think about her as his daughter. It makes sense poetically, of course. Loki is the trickster, births death, and then he goes on to fight against the gods in Ragnarok and usher in the death of one world and the birth of a new world. Hel keeps Baldur from being released, and then Baldur becomes one of the gods to rebuild after Ragnarok. This is such an important myth and one of the most prolonged depictions of Hell on record that I want to zero in on it now. I won't retell the whole myth because it's one of the longer cycles, but here's the uh, short version. Baldur is made immortal, so obviously the gods decide to start throwing deadly weapons at him. Loki laces Baldur's brother's spear with mistletoe, which is the only thing that can kill him. So Baldur dies and is sent down to Helheim. The gods grieve him fiercely, and Frigg especially is distraught. Frigg asks if there is anyone who would volunteer to ride to Helheim to bring, to beg for Hel to release Baldur. Hermodr volunteers, and though he makes it all the way to the gates of Helheim, he is met by Modgudr, Hel's maid. Because he is a living being, he is not allowed to enter Helheim. Eventually, he jumps the wall and finds himself in Hel's hall, where they are celebrating Baldur's life with many treasures and a feast. Hel agrees to release Baldur if every being in the world weeps for him. Of course, Loki disguises himself as a giantess and refuses to weep for Baldur, so Hel refuses to release him. Hel is personified in these myths as very dour, grumpy, and even reluctant to give her time to the gods because she has so much to do. Hel is a serious goddess who is focused on her role. 
She doesn't have time to fling dangerous things at Balder to see them bounce away. She doesn't have time to make nice with the Aesir. She has a job to do, and she is determined to do it. She does not give preferential treatment. During Ragnarok, Hel is not really depicted, which I think is an interesting storytelling choice. It isn't likely that she fights alongside her father, Loki, much more likely that she quietly does the job of processing all of that death at once. But once the gods have died in battle, once the storm of Ragnarok has passed, she releases Baldur, his wife, Nanur, and Hoder to, the, to create a new world. Leif and Leif Thrasa are the two humans who have survived, and they go on to populate the world. It is only because of Hel's commitment to right order, that which dies stays dead, that we are able to rebuild after Ragnarok. Now, let's talk about some personal gnosis of mine surrounding Hel. Hel is not actually Loki's daughter. She is only Loki's daughter because he reveals that which should not be revealed. She is deeply connected with the Norns. They are beings of fate who are able to see the ripples and the ways that life touches itself and one another. Of course, the way that we die is connected with our Urlog intimately. If we have Urd, which is past precedent, Verdandi, the present moment, and Skuld, what should happen, it only makes sense to me that Hell, Hidden One, is in charge of the way that we all die. She is also in a league of her own. I have often thought of her as a lone wolf. Only she can do the job that she has been given, and she does it in solitude. She seems to stand aside from the Aesir, even as she is considered Loki's daughter in some tales. It is necessary that Hel is older than Loki because death comes first. Ymir's death and the dissolution of his body is what creates the Nine Realms. Hel is a busy goddess. <laughs> Much like other death deities, we're also very busy. Hades and Anubis come to mind. A lot of things die, and a lot of things need to be ushered into the next world. For example, in Egyptian mythology, we see death deities who are a bit bureaucratic in nature. From the ancient Egyptian Book of the Dead, we learned of the importance of weighing a heart against a feather. The heart was said to keep all of the good and bad deeds a person did in life, and so it would be measured against a feather of Mat, the goddess of truth and justice. If the person led a decent life, their heart would be in balance with a feather, and they would be allowed to into the heaven of Osiris. This and other aspects of the mythology around depth in ancient Egyptian culture show a god, or rather several gods, who have a steady, bureaucratic nature. Another theme that often comes up around Hel and the Norns is that of judgment. There are different realms within Hel's underworld that you go to considering the life you have led. There are different feasting halls for warriors, for family. There is an icy lake for thieves and oathbreakers, one of the worst places to end up. There is absolutely a level of judgment in Hell's domains. This judgment isn't always a bad thing, and it hasn't been leveraged in the same way that judgment has been leveraged in other faiths, and yet it is there. When I was taking the Brooklyn Fools tarot course with Jeff Hinshaw, we talked about how judgment can be a harsh card. It can feel very cold. 
We talked about how this card has multiple sides. If you feel in alignment with your values and have been acting from that space, the Judgment card can feel like a sign that you've reached the end of a series of struggles. You aren't worried about being judged harshly because you've been living in alignment with those values. However, if you have made mistakes recently, or you have done things that aren't in alignment with your values, this judgment can feel really harsh. There is a certain ego death that happens when the energy of judgment card is prominent in your life. Your personality isn't the thing that is important here. The ego needs to step aside. Judgment comes from your actions, and whether or not those actions are done for the greater good. I don't want to get into a huge meditation on what is right or wrong, good or evil, but I think that Hell ultimately carries this energy with her as she ushers the dead to their resting places. As much as I have thought of her as one of the Norns, I also think of her as a Valkyrie. The Valkyries choose what will happen to those who die in battle, and Hell chooses what will happen to the rest of us. To most of us. She touches every single one of us in a way that other faces of the divine don't. So Hell is busy. She is not one who wants to be involved in every aspect of your life if you are a devotee. She will take what offerings and strength you want to give her. But she is not one to be a constant contact in your life. Death touches everyone, which also means that death needs space. I wouldn't say that I'm a devotee of hell, but then again, my deity relationships aren't as much about devotion as they are about connection. If you see all deities as different faces of the divine, personalizing them makes less and less sense. I'm not actually sure what I believe about the nature of the divine. It's all shifting for me. I know that I really resonate with Maria Kvilhog's mythopoetic work, and she basically talks about how the deities are metaphors for different forces within nature and life. Then again, every once in a while, something happens that is so obviously the mark of a specific deity that I have to laugh. And even so, I feel specific deity identities. I feel Hell's presence. I feel her helping me to understand that all things must die and to get a handle on my somewhat mercurial nature. Hell shows us what lasts and what needs to change. In the old stories, Hell's bed is made of pestilence. She takes in the sick, she takes in disease, and releases it back. In my personal gnosis, Hell is the one who turns the gristmill of Vergelmir, taking in all matter and transforming it through the process of death and dissolution. Some things do come from Vergelmir, the white grist that feeds Yggdrasil. In this way, death feeds all of life. It is a very natural thing. It is precisely that grist, the white hail, that connects Hell and Hagalaz so intensely in my mind. To introduce you to this rune, I want to read an excerpt from the Icelandic rune poem, and please forgive my mispronunciation of the Old Norse. Hagal er kalda korn, och krappadrifa och snokkasot. Hail is cold grain and driving sleet and sickness of serpents. The element was clearly a huge threat to our Nordic ancestors. Hail is a natural force that can lay waste to large areas of land. It can sink ships given the right wind conditions. Hail is an interruption, a force that is difficult to predict. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, hail can feel like an attack. After we have felt the beauty of Wunyo, Hagalaz can feel like a wake-up call. It is an interruption of what we want. A vision, 
A figure crouches on the path, attempting to shield themselves from the hail as it falls all around and on top of them. The world seems to shift to tilt beneath them. Their pack is still on their back, their walking stick within reach, and still they crouch, unable to move. They can't see the road in front of them. It's all a blur of ice and storm. The figure can't look forward. They can only look back the way they came. Hagalaz represents dramatic, often catastrophic, changes. It also represents a beginning. It feels as though this is another sort of initiation. If you've been doing spiritual work for some time, you come to a point where it's no longer about feel-good wisdom to get you through the day. Our spiritual journeys force us to confront the darker aspects of ourselves, to wrestle with our trauma and our purpose. This isn't light stuff, and Hagalaz, the hail, is the wake-up call to this deeper, more difficult spiritual work. Hagalaz forces you to sit with it, to really see it, and gives you the opportunity to choose something different. Hagalaz forces us to confront our past, especially actions that we are not proud of. Norse mythic cycles are always hurtling toward destruction and regrowth. Throughout the Eddas, Odin's motivation springs largely from his knowledge that Ragnarok is coming, the end of the world is coming, and he knows that the gods need to be prepared. The world of the gods is always hurtling toward the final confrontation of their hubris. The gods dishonor themselves and one another repeatedly throughout the mythic cycle. Loki is banished in large part because he pisses off the gods. He shows them their hypocrisy. In the Eddic poem Loki's Quarrel, Lokasenna, Loki isn't invited to a feast. He shows up anyway, compels Odin to give him a seat at the table, and insults each of the gods in turn. One important thing to note is that Loki treats the gods as if they are human, and also that each of the insults he gives has a foundation in reality, so the gods don't have a rebuttal. It is after this scene that the gods finally decide to imprison him, and this is his motivation for leading the enemy ship Nagelfar in battle against the Aesir. I retell this myth now because it serves to warn. If you are not willing to look at your own faults, at your own hubris, you are in danger of hurtling toward your own destruction. The gods need to fail in Ragnarok in order to be rebirthed, to get that second chance, to learn from their mistakes. Hagalaz is the destruction that paves the way. This is why it comes so early in the heathen's journey. You need your foundation to be shaken. I do recommend pathworking with each rune, but be careful. When you pathwork with the runes, different aspects of them show up in your life. The first time I really built an altar to Hagalaz, I was in the middle of an intense transition. That was when I accepted that my chronic pain wouldn't allow me to do my very physical job any longer, and I was plunged into a year of uncertainty. Then, right after that, I delved into Isa, a rune of ice and stasis. The pandemic hit. Of course these events were not created by my work with these runes. It is more likely that at the time in my life when these runes were speaking to me the most, I had reached a point when their wisdom reflected what was happening around me. It's these spooky synchronicities that help me hold my faith in the system of divination. The runes are much more than divination. They are forces that you can work with for magical purposes. They are not to be played with idly, but they can show you so much. I have a few recommendations for working with difficult runic energy. The first thing that you will want to do is slow down and get really quiet. 
It is only from a place of stillness that we are able to take in this knowledge. This is the first instruction of the vulva at the beginning of the vuluspo. Hearing I demand of all the sacred families. To prepare or slow, to slow down and be quiet. What's more, I think that there will be subtle things that show when your runes energy is present in your life. If we were talking about urus, it may be that you are suddenly spotting cattle and oxen everywhere. Or you have dreams where you have cloven hooved feet. I find that when I'm in some deep, weird stuff, it's all very obvious in retrospect. Of course, when working with a big runic energy, this can also be really dramatic. But don't discount the power of the subtle runes in your life. The next thing I want to remind you to do is surrender. Allow yourself to surrender the changes as they come and try to trust. This can be really difficult, especially if the thing that you need to do is difficult or feels insecure. Remember that insecurity is okay. It's a way to learn and grow. But when following those hunches leads you to a place where you're truly not supported and don't have what you need, it's time to untangle yourself. Especially when working with gods of death or change or chaos, it's really easy to go too far and become too enamored. Remember that you can always pull back a bit and recenter. Finally, remember that there are many different ways that you can soothe yourself, and sometimes you need to make changes to your self-soothing techniques to better meet those challenges. Perhaps taking long baths has worked for you in the past, but now you feel like you need to be a bit more active. Maybe now keeping a clean home is going to feel more important, or you will feel like you need to eat differently. Follow your intuition about this, and don't be afraid to try something new. We need all of the peace we can get before we dive into this underworld journey. But don't worry, I'll be making this journey with you. so much for listening to the Heathen's Journey podcast. I'm so honored to share these practices, conversations, and thoughts with you. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider supporting it on Patreon. The Patreon is designed as a learning and sharing space for fellow inclusive heathens to grow their practices. Every month we have a book club meeting, I share research notes, and episodes without the ads. If you would like to join, you can do so at patreon.com slash heathensjourneypod. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, keep it weird.